Well, again, hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for uh, being here with us this morning. We are on our fifth lesson today about uh, spiritual disciplines and how they help us connect to God. Um, and so we've covered uh, a lot of ground in the past uh, five weeks. We we talked about how we start down the road of using disciplines to connect to God by recognizing that one of the biggest obstacles to us effectively growing through spiritual practices is our negative relationship with time, that we have to take time to be quiet and listen for the voice of God, that it can't be all about us talking, asking, and needing, that we have to take this time to listen to him. Uh, we discussed how uh, important it is for us to stay connected to God through his word, that God's word is both instructive in that it tells us uh, what we should or should not do, and it is descriptive. It, it illustrates the nature of our relationship with God and his love for us. We explored the role of prayer in keeping us connected to God, that through prayer, through the conversation that we carry on with God, we get to know him better uh, we begin to pay attention to all of the things that he is doing around us, and our eyes are open to where he is working and moving. And furthermore, that God uh, gets to know us better by our sharing of our lives with him, that when we involve him with every part of our lives, it's this conversation that, that he wants with us. He doesn't want to just know us like he's read a book. He wants to know uh, who we are and what we're thinking and feeling. So he invites us to engage him in every corner of our lives. Last week, we talked about the practice of fasting and how important fasting can be uh, in connecting us to God. Uh, when we fast, we state that it is God who sustains us and holds us up, that our need for God in his presence is even greater than our need for food, which of course is something that we need to survive. We fast primarily as a way to connect ourselves to God, whether it be to seek a blessing, to ask for forgiveness, to align ourselves with him as we move forward into any season of life. But fasting also gives us an opportunity to live out the purposes of God through self-denial. Uh, and the verse that we looked at last week comes from Isaiah chapter 58, 6 through 9. So we're going to use this passage to help us sort of get into what I want us to talk about today. From Isaiah chapter 58, Verses 6 through 9. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will respond. So there's this important idea that's communicated here. And it's this, it's when we fast and connect to God through this denial of ourselves, we are moved to do the things of God with the time that we are giving him. And then in response to this movement in our lives, God hears us. He, he, he raises up for us 
and he protects us and goes with us. And the things that God desires for us to do while we are denying ourselves is to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, anything that would enslave someone, to share your food, to provide shelter, to clothe the naked, to do all of these things, to care for all of these people. So the important principle that carries over for us today is this. The more connected we become to God, the more we are going to be moved to serve others. And this is the discipline we are going to discuss today, the discipline of service. Now, it's maybe a little bit different to think about service as a discipline, something to be practiced in the same way as silence, study, prayer, or fasting. But if one of the primary points of these disciplines is to connect us to God, then if that connection is working and happening, we are going to begin, as Isaiah said, to want to do the things of God. These things are going to start happening and showing up in our lives. And whatever we may think the things of God are or doing the things of God means, the number one thing on the list has to be loving and serving other people. It all starts, I think, for us with Jesus. Jesus is the model of a servant for us. He embodies what it looks like for someone to serve others in the way that God desires. Maybe one of the first uh, scriptures that jumps to your mind when I talk about Jesus being a servant is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross." Now, this is a passage that gets a lot of play. We've talked about it here a lot at our church. But what's so valuable about this passage to this discussion is that the standard this passage sets up is unequivocal. So let's break down each step that we see here in these words. Number one, Jesus was in very nature or is in very nature God. There was nothing above him. But that's not really the point. The point is, more than that, we are very far below him. So he was in very nature God, but he chose, and this is the important part here, he chose to make himself nothing, becoming like us. Now this is, this is crucial. Jesus chose to do the will of the Father and to make himself something that was considerably less than what he was. Just taking human form was him doing something that made himself considerably less than what he was. Why did he do this? Well, the passage says he did not consider his equality with God something to be used to his advantage. So if that's true, then what did he consider his equality with God to be? 
he considered it to be something that could be used to our advantage. So he made himself less than he was so that he could use his equality with God to the benefit or the advantage of us. But there's more. He humbled himself to death and the cross. This is something that's difficult for us to wrap our minds around a little bit, but death did not have any power or authority over Jesus. Being on a level with God, he could not die unless he consented to die in this form as a human. Furthermore, he not only consented to die, but he consented to let those lesser than him kill him in the cruelest way possible. So this picture that is painted for us is of one who is ultimately deserving, who empties himself out, who makes himself a servant so that his power and what he is capable of doing can be used for the benefit of God's creation. And we know Jesus as the risen Lord, the one who is victorious, who gives us eternal life and extends us the grace and mercy of God. But we first know him as the one who submitted himself to God's will, even though it would cost him his life. We know him as the one who came to earth to serve those that he helped create. Knowing what he was capable of, what he rightfully deserved, makes his humility and his choices that much more astounding. Jesus chose to be a servant because of God's great love for us. He loved us as an extension of God's love, and so he became a servant to us. So the bottom line is, if we say, I want to be like Jesus... There might be a lot of different things that come to our minds. Maybe it's in uh, knowing the scripture or in boldly proclaiming the word of God or in speaking truth and authority with authority in all situations. But if we are going to be like Jesus, one of the first things we must do is practice the discipline of service. We cannot be like Jesus without it. Serving others is an extension of the love of God, and it is one of the highest values within the kingdom of God. In his book, The Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster writes, the spiritual authority of Jesus is an authority not found in a position or title, but in a towel. He's telling us what Paul told us in Philippians, that Jesus' greatness was not simply because he was the Son of God, it was what he did as the Son of God and the way that he served his creation. So let's, let's dig a little bit into this quote. It's not found in position or title, but in a towel. And let's look at the passage that this idea is drawn from. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you may have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, just not my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to the place, to his place, I should say. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Okay, this is a meaty story right here, and there are several layers to this thing, uh, so much happening that we can dig into, so we're going to hit some highlights here. First off, it's important for us to note that Jesus chose to serve everyone. He chose to serve everyone, even those he knew were going to act against him, were going to betray him. There's a lot of emphasis early in the story, and even partway through, that is put on Judas. Judas is going to betray him, but we have to remember that when Jesus was arrested, his disciples scattered. Only John was present at the foot of the cross. Everyone else was gone. And Peter publicly denied him to those who were around him. Okay, so what does this tell us? It tells us, first of all, that people did not have to qualify to be served by Jesus. In fact, he knew that everyone was ultimately unworthy. I mean, that's why he was here, right? It's because we were all unworthy and needed a Savior. And it makes me ask this question about our view of serving other people. Do we sometimes go through an exercise of deciding whether someone deserves to be served by us? Do we have a set of unstated criteria that helps us decide who we will and will not serve? Let's pocket that for a second to chew on it. Secondly, Jesus knew that the gift of service was not going to be reciprocated, and he did it anyway. And here is kind of the irony of this entire situation. There was no equivalency 
to the service that Jesus was performing and was preparing to perform for the world. No one could match what he was doing, what he was going to do. Again, as Paul wrote in Philippians, he was the son of God who who left that authority and power behind so that he could become a servant to us. But even within this scenario of Jesus and his disciples, as the teacher, it would have been right for one of his disciples to wash his feet. And as a son of God, it would have been appropriate for all of humanity to bow down before him. And again, it's what makes this example so poignant for us. He served without an expectation of something in return. Thirdly, he humbled himself completely, even dressing like a servant, so he could help them understand the significance of what he was going to do and what he was asking of them. Jesus had always been a servant, but in this case, he went further to drive his point home. He, he took his outer clothes off, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he crawled around the floor with a basin of water washing his disciples' feet. Now, washing feet was about as glamorous as it sounds. It's something that we wouldn't want to engage with other people today, and we generally wear socks and shoes all day. These dudes wore sandals all the time. And this job of washing people's dirty feet was the most menial and disgusting job that one could carry out. Even within the hierarchy of servants, it was only the least servant that would be given this kind of job. So why did Jesus do this particular thing? Why did he make this choice? Well, we have to recognize that the point kind of was, this is the worst job. This is the most menial job. I shouldn't be doing this, but I am choosing to do it for you. This humbling act. Jesus, the Son of God, was not above humbling himself to wash the feet of those that he loved. So number four, what was the point he wanted to make through all of this? He wanted to make the point that no one is above loving and serving others. Period. Jesus served in an indiscriminatory, sacrificial way without expectation of anything in return. And this is what he calls his disciples to. Basically saying, if I am willing to do this for you, then you should be willing to serve others in the same way. I want to be really straightforward with you. Serving people in the way that Jesus served other people is beyond difficult for us. Because it requires a level of humility that makes us uncomfortable. Our natural tendency 
is to think of ourselves before we think of others. This is normal. Part of it is our desire to protect ourselves. Another part is the expectation that if we do something nice for someone, they'll do something nice for us in return, whether it be gratitude or even honor. Part of it may be that we simply don't see or love other people in the way that Jesus does. But this image of Jesus completely humbling himself, it is hard for us to humble ourselves in this same way. But here's a core principle to this. If you are going to serve like Jesus, then you, your interests and rights can never be the priority. You have to be able to put yourself aside for the sake of others. I have really struggled over the last probably year and a half with the public voice of Christianity. I have heard so much about the rights of Christians, protecting those rights, and protecting a perceived way of life. And I'm struggling with this because in the Gospels, it is difficult to find anything that justifies us defending our rights as disciples of Jesus. Jesus again and again called his disciples to give up everything for the sake of the gospel and for loving other people. And it is hard for us to put aside the respect that we think we deserve or the rights that we think we should have in order to make ourselves servants of other people. And the disciples, they struggled with this as well. From Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The disciples believed that the path Jesus was taking them down would ultimately lead to power, influence, and glory to this kingdom being established on earth. So two of them, with the help of their mother, asked to have seats of honor in the kingdom. And Jesus asked them, basically, are you qualified? 
can you drink of the cup? And this was a trick question. Jesus was going to sacrifice himself for the world. They could not drink of the same cup that he would drink, but they said they could. And when the others heard about this entire exchange, they were indignant. I don't think they were offended so much by the question, but that these guys had asked first. That they had asked to be elevated over everyone else. And they probably had their own thoughts as to who should sit at the right or the left of Jesus in the kingdom. Jesus' answer to the whole thing echoes what we saw in John 13. It echoes what Paul told us in Philippians chapter 2. It echoes what we saw in Isaiah when he wrote about fasting. Other people, in this case Gentiles, meaning those who are not disciples of Jesus, they want to have authority over others. And when they have authority over others, they lord it over them. They make sure that those people know who is in charge. But in the kingdom of God, if you want to be great, you will not just serve, you will be a slave. You will be a servant. This is strong wording that Jesus puts into these thoughts. Whoever wants to be first will be a slave. You will live your life in such a way that you are consistently putting others before yourself, making yourself less important every chance you get. This is what Jesus was modeling for them. He did not come to serve or to be served but to serve and to give up his life for many. Richard Foster again says, service is not a list of things that we do, though in it we discover things to do. It is not a code of ethics, but a way of living. Jesus is not calling us to serve sometimes. He is calling us to change the nature of who we are from those who think about themselves and their own interests and how far is too far and how should I protect myself to people who become willingly slaves to others. Serving others, being a servant, is an important spiritual discipline that we cannot overlook. It, it challenges us and stretches us in ways that are uncomfortable. But it is in lovingly, selflessly, selflessly serving others that we are most like Jesus. It's not in the rebuking or the teaching or the knowledge. It's not in the authority. It is in the towel. The disciplines that we have talked about, they lead us to be better connected to God. Silence, prayer, fasting, study, they all connect us to the God who created us and loves us. But that connection to God should change us. It should affect us. It should change who we are and what we do. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
And listen, church, that's not just talking about living a moral life or refraining from certain kinds of sin. It's talking about loving and serving other people as Jesus loved and served other people. And as Isaiah made clear, the result of a fast that God desires is the one that has connected to him going out into the world and doing the things of God, serving other people. This is what Jesus calls us to. It's the example he gave us. And of all of these, it is the most difficult road. Because in the kind of radical service that Jesus calls to, we are called to make ourselves last, to become slaves to the world. But here's the secret. By becoming slaves to us, by becoming a slave to us, Jesus released the love of God on the world. Released it. So that all those undeserving, unworthy could have new life in God. You want to change this world you want to make a difference in people's lives, then serve them, love them, become a slave to them, and unleash the love of God on the world that may not have ever been loved in this way.